on air. There's actually not a lot of time left when you think about it. We're, we're in 2023 and you've got, you know, hard targets to meet to keep to a, a maximum warming ambition of 1.5 degrees. So it's not a case of let's just hope for the best at 2050. You actually have to do things up to 2030, 2040. The Northmore uh, Gordon modeling suggests that energy efficiency can play a huge role. This is On Air by ANZ Institutional. We bring you the latest market-leading analysis and thought leadership from more than 30 global markets, giving you the information you and your business needs to thrive. Sen, how critical do you think nailing energy efficiency is for Australia if we're to play our part in reducing carbon emissions? We shouldn't be under any illusions as to how extraordinarily difficult and complex getting to net zero is, is going to be. And uh, amongst all the things that we need to do, you know, it's, it's going to require such a fundamental reshaping of the energy system. And so from a timeline perspective, and there's actually not a lot of time left when you think about it, we're, we're in 2023 and you've got, you know, hard targets to meet to keep to a, a maximum warming ambition of 1.5 degrees. So it's not a case of let's just hope for the best at 2050. You actually have to do things up to 2030, 2040. Um, and so when you think about all the things that we have to do along that time scale, we need to think about the solutions that are relevant at each stage of the transition. Um, and take, for example, the, the safeguard mechanism. You know, it's designed to be technology agnostic, right? Um, it's whatever you can do to reduce your scope one emissions. But its design also centers on uh, very much a finite carbon budget and a requirement to deliver greenhouse gas reductions every year. So the Northmore uh, Gordon modeling suggests that energy efficiency and the additional efficiencies that come from electrification can play a huge role in this. And it's, you know, their, their modeling suggests that it's, it's in the order of 40% uh, of Australia's total emissions reduction uh, target out to 20 and then when you when you pair it with other things like energy management systems, on-site generation, there'll be benefits in terms of cost and the cost risk issues. Now, obviously, this goes far beyond the safeguard mechanism, and many of our large institutional companies have the resources and and technical know uh, know how and expertise to to consider how energy efficiency will fit into their uh, overall risk management and sustainability strategies. Um, but the value of energy efficiency is amplified because this is something that businesses of all shapes and sizes can actually do and participate in. The research that ANZ and EEC commissioned Northmore Gordon to do isn't just saying, oh, tell us how great energy efficiency is. It's saying, what's a pathway to achieving our emissions reductions goals? And it's really critically looking at five buckets of emissions reductions opportunities, which is energy efficiency, electrification, renewable electricity, renewable fuels, and last but not least, carbon removals. This is fundamentally the five things that we've got access to. So renewable fuels can be hydrogen, obviously green hydrogen or potentially hydrogen with carbon capture and storage, as well as biofuels and biogas and the likes, Electric renewable electricity, wind, solar, hydro, you know, the works, energy efficiency, Come all and sunder, we're talking thermal performance from insulation and draft proofing, we're talking energy efficient heat pumps, we're talking energy efficient lighting, we're talking energy efficient process improvements from energy management systems, electrification, we're talking about 
changing something from a gas system to an electric system or a fuel system to an electric system. So your most obvious example here is an electric vehicle. So we're moving from an internal combustion engine running off petrol or diesel to an electric vehicle with, with a battery. What's critical here is to Sen's point of we're saying out to 2050, 40, about 40% of Australia's emissions reductions could and should come from energy efficiency and electrification. That gets up to about two-thirds of Australia's emissions reductions once you add in the renewable electricity opportunity. So it's really quite critical that we think of how can these work together. What's very interesting is if you unpack the modelling behind ANZ and EEC's easy to read report and go into the the nerdy but enjoyable to read for those of us that are energy nerds Northmore Gordon uh, energy efficiency scenario modeling report is there's actually some really interesting scenario and sensitivity analysis so it talks about opportunities of like if we don't move quickly enough between now and 2030 what do we need to do fundamentally if we are slow between now and 2030 we need to do way more energy efficiency between 2030 and 2040 so if you look at what's the best case scenario that we've we've modeled here energy efficiency plays a pretty big role indeed it's 18 and a half percent of emissions reductions between now and 2030 but between now and 2050 it's 13 and a half percent and that's because we can identify the big opportunities now business as usual modeling has energy efficiency only playing 2.1% of our emissions reductions job out to 2050. So that's really critical to think about how we can massively ramp up something that in most situations is the most cost-effective thing you can do and just get it out to businesses and households now immediately. And it's worthwhile noting because I'm sure some people are listening to this and going, what are you talking about? Like this stuff isn't available for me to roll out now. There's supply chain constraints and skills constraints on pretty much everything across the whole economy. But there is a big difference between the skills and supply chain constraints for energy efficiency products compared with getting more renewables online. We're talking about a magnitude of months for energy efficiency versus years for large-scale renewables projects. And that means that your business, within the next few months, can very quickly and rapidly realise those savings, whilst hopefully at the same time also looking at your procurement strategy so that you can move to renewables, whilst also making those long-term plans for going, well, how are we going to decarbonise our high-temperature process heat that doesn't currently have a heat pump solution available to it, so it is going to need renewable fuels. And the report is really trying to demonstrate if you're a business and you care about action on climate or you just care about saving money, roll out energy efficiency right now. And from a broader uh, emissions reduction um, perspective, I think this is where energy efficiency plays, I think, a very, very complementary role to all the other things that are going on right now uh, in the transformation of Australia's energy system. But, you know, we, we, let's not forget, I think we've, we've had a really successful run of introducing huge amounts of renewable energy into the system, and that's a testimony to the enduring nature of the renewable energy target. What has become apparent, though, like as the grid has hit about you know twenty five to thirty percent uh, renewables penetration, a little bit over, we hit thirty three percent. That is even better. Uh, earlier that this year. is even better. That's great news. Um, but we are approaching, I guess, a level of some technical constraints in the network, and simply because you know when you're talking about 
a very high percentage of renewables in the system. You know, the government's got a target of 82%. Um, ideally, you'd like to get to as close as 100% as possible uh, because we certainly have uh, the fuel sources to do that. That's wind and solar primarily. To do this requires a fundamental rewiring of the transmission network, right? That's because the, the pipes that transport those electrons um, are now built for, um, I guess, the existing technologies, which is largely around centralized uh, thermal generation. But when you move to decentralized uh, grid, you actually need to rebuild those transmission systems. And that's what's going on right now. But the scale of that is actually quite substantial, right? We're talking you know, the last time I checked, around 10,000 kilometers of new transmission lines. Those are hu- These are huge nation-transforming projects that will take years to deliver. You know, it's not just a matter of the cost, right? We think about the renewable energy zones that are being delivered right now, the first to be in central west Arana and, and, and subsequently New England. Um, you're also talking about traversing a lot of land that belongs to private owners that... Uh, have never had transmission lines on before. And so there's a whole range of issues that you have to still have to deal with. And it, those issues will get de- dealt with. And I think it, that just takes time. So in the meantime, I think energy efficiency plays a role in, in reducing emissions at the time whilst you're waiting for that next wave of renewable energy um, to really hit the market. And it buys you time effectively. Yep, and, and there's two key things that I want to unpack there from what you said. We're talking about transmission lines across a lot of private land. We're also talking about transmission and distribution, a lot of traditional owners' land. And when we talk about that idea of a just transition, the engagement that is needed with local First Nations communities, with private farmers, with general everyday Australians, it's critical that we get that engagement right so that we have a just transition in which everybody feels that their voices were heard and paid attention to and that we are actually delivering a better future for Australia that just so happens to be decarbonised. And also worthwhile noting from a a just transition space when you're thinking about energy efficiency opportunities, and this is worthwhile noting, um, say, from the Australian government's commitment to of about $300 million for social housing, is that effectively the Australian government is going, we want this to be a just transition. We want to ensure that we're not leaving Australia's uh, most vulnerable behind, which is why we're supporting them. And indeed, we as, as private companies and private citizens can also do that, support energy efficiency right now for vulnerable households by getting them insulation in their homes, by getting them draft proofing so they need less energy to heat and cool those homes. But really unpacking that 82% stat in terms of how many renewables are going to be in Australia's national electricity market, which is the East Coast electricity market. So it's everyone bar WA and the Northern Territory. This isn't just a target the Australian government's come up with. The Australian energy market operator, which indeed uh, oversees the operation of Australia's uh, energy markets and the national electricity market here on on the East Coast, the integrated system plan that they release every two years thinks that we will hit 82% renewables by 2030. Now, that's not because we're going nuts with renewables. That's because a bucket load of coal-fired power plants are due to be turned off. So what are we replacing them with? We're replacing them with the lowest 
cost form of new generation and that's renewables. But it's critical here to remember that we previously had an energy system which was linear and it was centralised. And what that meant is you talking in one direction to the end use. And unpacking sense point is we're moving to a completely decentralised energy system, which needs two-way rather than one-way transmission and distribution. And this does cost money. So our capability to reduce those costs by rolling out energy efficiency, our capability to deal with the variable nature of wind and solar by being able to shift time of use of energy is key to keeping the costs down for Australia's energy transition. So if we could take one thing away from this report, energy efficiency should be a part of any sensible business's business plan for achieving decarbonisation. So um, can you tell us a little bit about the challenges of energy efficiency and how you see that playing out? You know, this is an interesting question, Shane, because I think this question has been posed quite a lot um, in terms of the struggle, I think, in some respects that energy efficiency has in getting the airtime it deserves. Um, There was an article that I saw on the... um, uh, United Nations Economic Commission for Europe's website, as, as you do, uh, that described energy efficiency as follows, right? It's the first fuel. We're we calling it the forgotten fuel uh, because it often gets overlooked, but they call it the first fuel. It's the one that you do not have to use, yet it gives you the services that you need. Kind of intuitive, right? It is inexpensive and abundant, it's the key to achieving systems resilience and to enhancing industrial performance. So it sounds like, you know, the... the, the uh, Silver bullet the for just delivering bullet, everything. Absolute panacea. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, um, you know, I see it as a fuel because it's the energy you don't need to do the things that you want it to do, all right? And, you know, keeping buildings comfortable, um, running a business, and anything that you save... Uh, can be deployed to some other productive purpose. The, the, the problem, I think, with it, Holly, and I'd be interested in your perspectives, is that it just doesn't get the cut through because, you know, there's no one big shiny piece of kit, is it, right? Like, you know, and industrial boilers and heat pumps don't exactly make for visually interesting photo ops. I think this comes to the ethos of... The whole series. So this is the Forgotten Fuel series. Uh, Putting energy efficiency to work is the first report. Now, just to remind everybody that the reason why energy efficiency historically has been such a low priority in Australia is because electricity and gas has historically been dirt cheap in Australia. You did not see prices that brought us anywhere near cost parity with other countries in terms of energy costs until 2015, 2016. Prior to that, we were living on cloud nine. It was dirt cheap and it made it much easier to manufacture a lot of things in Australia. In recent years, for a number of different reasons, electricity and gas prices have continued to go up. Energy efficiency just doesn't have the same interest level because we haven't put the same effort in to making it sound fun. So we do need to encourage an industry to make it sound more fun, to make it sound more interesting. That's a decision that we've made. But also, we just need to remind people, you like saving money. You can save your money and spend it wherever you want whilst supporting uh, action on climate. Reduce your energy consumption with some simple energy efficiency. Doesn't that sound great? And, and maybe there's some things we can think about in terms of messaging 
um, around the benefits of energy efficiency in, in the way, for example, the success that councils and state governments and you know, federal governments had around things like waste management, right? Like, you know, um, filling up your yellow bins with uh, um, recyclables, and filling up your green bins with um, your prunings from your garden, etc. It's It's almost like a suburban badge of honor how, how much you can... Um, fill those bins up, right? Maybe it's the way we, we're so used to consuming energy in a particular way that, and it's become so uh, convenient for us, right? That we don't think about the amount of waste that goes into existing processes and, and that with the benefit of new technologies and engineering and investments, there may be different ways to think about it. And, it's, you know, I was, I was reflecting on a couple of pieces of research that I stumbled upon, again, because as you do, one was from the United States, is a, a research and development house called the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory, an R&D center in California, funded by the U.S. Uh, Department of Energy. And they provided a really nice, nerdy, sankey diagram about the total energy consumption in the United States. And 67% of that energy was considered rejected energy. That was basically the energy that was lost pretty much as a byproduct for the energy that was actually productively used. Now, a similar kind of uh, study was, uh, observation, sorry, was made by Saul Griffith in his, in his book, the, the, the Big Switch, um, which was uh, the Australian version of that. And his Sankey diagram showed 64% of it was, of energy was actually wasted and and i think if there are processes that can reduce that waste because if you think about the amount of wasted energy that's carbon emissions associated with that energy that actually goes to no productive purpose whatsoever so think about when you're producing any energy in a thermal power plant a really good example to think of here is when you were watching the simpsons back in the 90s and you were looking at homer simpson's nuclear power plant in springfield and you saw all of that steam coming out of the stacks effectively that's wasted energy it's wasted heat so the same thing happens at that generation point where we are wasting uh heat through the gen through thermal generation but also when you're at the end use so think of a household again and going back to that idea of having uh cracks in your windows and spaces under your floor the heat that you are putting or the pool that you are putting into your room through your fireplace or through your reverse cycle air conditioner, if it's going out the door and it's just being wasted, that's waste. So that's how you end up with two thirds of the energy that's produced being rejected. And it's really critical that we get rid of that. It's worthwhile noting that electrification is inherently a substantially more energy efficient opportunity than thermal combustion. So we're already making huge savings in terms of energy wastage from switching from internal combustion engines to electric vehicles and indeed electrifying other processes in buildings and industry. But it's also worthwhile noting that it's just critical that we're not letting that heat or that cool escape through cracks. So that electrification plus thermal performance is essential for us to get the greatest bang for our buck. 
I'd like to expand on the, the example that you gave about the switch from internal combustion vehicles to electric vehicles, because I think this is something that a lot of people can probably relate to because, it's, you know, most households have cars and multiple cars and um, it's as applicable to the household as well as to businesses, particularly those that run very large fleets. But when you think about the energy efficiency standards for an internal combustion ve vehicle, it's expressed as liters per hundred kilometers right that's the, the 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 normal kind of way we express it in australia and worthwhile just noting sam that there aren't currently actually any standards for fuel efficiency in australia but they are being brought in next financial year however at point of sale for a car you do have to say this is the fuel efficiency of the car so just worthwhile noting that australia is the only developed country that hasn't had fuel efficiency standards for light passenger vehicles, but they are being introduced next year, which will support the rollout of electric vehicles in Australia. Yeah, and I think that's that's actually quite important because whilst you don't have a requirement uh, in terms of standards, you do have disclosures, right, on, on yes. the windscreen sticker, right? So say take a typical suburban car, right? Uh, what's a what's a normal kind normalish kind of fuel consumption? It's ten liters per hundred kilometers. So it's a volumetric measure of the amount of fuel that you need to run to to go for hundred kilometers, right? It's not an energy content, right? Um, whereas in electric car, the emerging kind of efficiency uh, ratio that's being used is the number of kilowatt hours to go hundred kilometers, and kilowatt hours is an expression of energy. Now, what's a typical range, right? Like it's, it's, it runs between 14 for very, very efficient uh, EVs to all the way to the mid-20s for high-performance EVs, right? That's the kind of range it most seeming to be about 17 to 20, those sort of numbers. I've done a bit of research on this. Please tell me you're about to tell us the conversion for the 10 litres. Yes, I am. Very exciting. <laughs> I did a Google.com uh, search and there is approximately 8.8 .8 kilowatt hours in every liter of petrol. So if your car runs at 10 liters per 100 kilometers, that is an energy consumption or efficiency of 88 kilowatt hours. Let's say lack of efficiency though there when you're saying 88 kilowatt hours compared with your range of 14 to 27. That that's exactly right. So 88 kilo, uh, kilowatt hours per 100 kilometers, that's an order of magnitude about four times less efficient than the most inefficient electric vehicle. And where's that where's that difference? That difference is basically things like heat, noise, and other kind of mechanical losses that occur through traditional combustion um, uh, processes uh, in a car. Um, and, and so when, you know, there's this expression around EVs around range anxiety, it's an issue around the, the, the size of the fuel tank, so to speak, um, which I think will improve as... Um, the energy densities in batteries uh, evolve over time. Um, but if you were to equate, like turning it the other round, if, if you were to equate uh, the fuel efficiency of an electric vehicle into petrol terms, it works out to between 2 litres to 3 litres per 100 kilometres. So that is a substantial difference in efficiency. And essentially what you're trying to do is transform um, a source of energy into movement. We touched on this briefly a bit before, Holly, but what do you ultimately hope to achieve from the report? What are you hoping businesses that read the report sort of take away and do as a result? So I think what's critical to both ANZ 
and the EC is that we enhance the general populace's literacy or understanding of how Australia can achieve net zero and what's the best way for us to get there. And when I say best here, I mean how are we going to do it at least cost? How are we going to do it whilst ensuring a just transition where we care about people's health and well-being and businesses' productivity so that we can achieve an equitable and prosperous net zero economy? So what do we want for this report for businesses? We want businesses' eyes to open to go, oh, energy efficiency and electrification are opportunities that I can jump on right now to help me manage the risks and capture the opportunities of the energy transition. So that's really critical that we hone in from a business perspective around risk management and about capturing opportunity so that your business is best placed to thrive in that equitable, prosperous, net zero economy. Yeah, and certainly from from ANZ's perspective, we would be looking to socialise these results with as many of our clients and our networks um, as, as possible. We see this very much as the start of the journey. I mean, it's it's funny because you know you mentioned before Holly that we've been, yeah, uh, I guess in a partnership for five years now, and it feels like time has really <laughs> flown by. But you know, the the good thing is it feels as as if momentum's really starting to build in in this space. And you know, the more conversations we can have about it, um, and the more awareness that we can can bring, I think it would be a really positive outcome. Uh, in, in my view, at the end of the day, as we mentioned, right, it's all about helping our clients manage risks, improve uh, business resilience uh, and performance, as well as reduce carbon emissions. It's um, it's it's a real trifecta of benefits here. And what would be also amazing, I think, is that if this report stimulates further thinking uh, and research by other subject matter experts, because I think this is where you can really create this groundswell focus. Uh, and interest into the topic. But obviously the best thing, you know, the absolute best thing that could happen is that we start to see more policies to invest, to stimulate investments in energy efficiency. Um, you know, the announcement in the federal budget uh, to support energy efficiency initiatives um, uh, suggests that that momentum is really starting to pick up and it's great to see. Um, and, you know, we'd obviously like to see the impact of those policies then translate into actual investments. And at that point, uh, ANZ would be very, very keen to work out how we can assist. It, it's really worthwhile unpacking here that the budget that was handed down by Treasurer Chalmers is quite significant from an energy performance perspective. It's one of the biggest budgets we've ever seen in terms of supporting for energy efficiency and electrification and, and demand flexibility opportunities. We're talking about $2.9 billion, which is both supporting businesses and households. And it's really great to see that the government has taken that action. But the benefit of research like this is that we're able to support governments with building the case for doing really detailed research into what are the decarbonisation pathways for individual sectors and how can we collectively, and by that I mean government and industry, work together to support businesses with decarbonising. We want to support government with rolling out policies and programs when they are needed and how they enable businesses to thrive in this net zero economy. So it's really critical that we look at this research of going, how can we collectively work together to achieve our net zero goal? And you touched on the partnership before. Can you tell us what's next 
from ANZ and the AEC? Yeah, sure, Shane. Um, the the this stage of the partnership is really, really focused upon uh, the release of three reports on the topic of energy efficiency. This being the 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 first one, and so we've spent a quite a few months working on it now. We're in the very early stages of thinking about the second report, which is going to be uh, focused primarily on the business sector. Um, there's still a lot of work to be done, but it's uh, it's very exciting. And then more broadly, the, the EEC has always been very accommodating in our request to you know run things like seminars for our clients and, and, um, and our staff, and we've done a combination of those two things in the past. And certainly I, I see uh, plenty of opportunity to do more of that in the coming months and years. I think what's really critical for the EEC is we value a partnership like ANZ because it's great for us to be able to talk about how one of Australia's largest businesses is practising what it preaches. But we also like being able to partner with big organisations like ANZ that have really developed relationships with businesses and households. And I think this report is is not the start of our fruitful relationship, but it's a really good flag in the sand of saying energy efficiency and electrification have a massive role to play in supporting well-being and productivity in Australia. And we're really keen to unpack that even further in, in the next couple of reports and then to keep working together thereafter to push out this message of how important energy efficiency is to emissions reductions, to cost savings, to health and well-being, and indeed delivering a decarbonised variable renewable energy grid. That was On Air by ANZ Institutional. Be sure to like, follow or subscribe to hear more. This podcast is intended as thought leadership material. It is not published with the intention of providing any direct or indirect recommendations or to influence any person to make a decision in relation to any financial product or class of financial products. It is general in nature and does not take account of the circumstances of any individual or class of individuals. For further information, please refer to the full disclaimer at institutional.anz.com.